Father in heaven, we give thanks uh, for your word. We thank you for this day. Thank you that you've created it and that you fill it and that it's about you. And so as we come before you this morning, uh, may our time together in learning about your word and about you, may it also be about you. Not about us, not about growing in pride, but growing in love for you and for your law. All these things, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you don't remember uh, what we've been doing, we've been talking about covenant theology. Um, Hopefully you know what a covenant is by now, and hopefully you know the difference between a covenant of works and a covenant of grace. And hopefully you know uh, what the Abrahamic covenant promises were, and hopefully you know uh, when the Mosaic covenant started and when it ended. Um, I'm just going to assume you remember all these things perfectly, Um, but if you don't, it's okay. The point is... How, what are we learning about Jesus? Right? There's a lot of details. There's a lot of things about the covenants. A lot of things that I've been teaching and talking about that are sometimes you know, big picture. Sometimes they're details. But I hope what we're really coming away with is we're learning more about the Lord. We're learning more about Jesus. Um, and so that's also kind of the, the lens I've been trying to look at covenant theology through. Um, what, do, what does each covenant teach us about the Lord? Um, that's... You know, maybe the other covenants don't teach us. So, for instance, we talked about the covenant of works with Adam in the garden, right? We talked about how obedience was required, that there was a reward for obedience, there was punishment for disobedience. Um, And we made the point, right, that if Adam had obeyed and the covenant of works had been fulfilled and there never was a covenant of grace, we wouldn't have learned about God's grace, Right? We would have learned about God's justice. We would have learned about his requirements. We would have learned about um, what it takes to obey him. And we would have lived forever with him. But we wouldn't have learned about his grace. We wouldn't have experienced it because grace is for sinners. Right? Grace is God's response to people who have broken the covenant of works. So every covenant then reveals a little bit more about God. It reveals a little bit more about who he is um, and about who Jesus is. And so we've been looking at the Mosaic Covenant for the last month or so, um, and we'll probably still be on it into March. um, But we've been looking at how the Mosaic Covenant teaches us about Jesus. Right? Do you remember what it has taught us so far? What, What have we learned about Jesus through the Mosaic Covenant so far? John? What do you mean? I mean God is set apart in His holiness from His creation. We're endowed with some of the features that God has, but He's totally separate from us in holiness. By Okay, so the Mosaic Covenant has shown us how holy God is and what's required, right, to be in His presence. Okay? What else has the Mosaic Covenant taught us about the Lord? Jonathan? Yeah, absolutely. We learn a lot about God's personality or maybe his character, right? We learn through seeing his laws, right? What, what kinds of laws does God give? He gives laws that are just. He gives laws that are compassionate. He gives laws um, that are not simply about um, what's, what's best for, for you, but what's best for someone else. 
Yeah, what else do we learn about the Lord through the Mosaic Covenant? Specifically, what do we learn about Jesus? What, what is he going to do? What does the Mosaic teach us about that? Yeah. Yeah, the Mosaic Covenant teaches us very clearly that we cannot keep the law. If, if we couldn't keep the law just to stay in the land, how much more could we not keep it to get eternal life, right? So we need, it very clearly shows us that we need someone to do it for us, someone to be perfect. So the Mosaic Covenant teaches us what Jesus is going to do. He's going to be perfect. He's going to keep God's law perfectly and not sin. Anything else that the Mosaic Covenant teaches us? Anything specifically about Moses? Does Moses teach us anything about what the promised seed Jesus is going to do? What was the, the, the pivotal moment that Moses stepped into? Do you guys remember when Moses said something to God? Because Israel had just created the golden calves and that whole situation. What did Moses say? Matt? Yeah. Blot my name out and spare Israel. Yeah, Moses shows us Jesus. Even though he's in a very human, limited way, right? He is very clearly a, a sinful person. And yet, we learn a lot about Jesus as our mediator through Moses. We talked about this last week, about the fact that Moses is, is not technically a mediator. Technically, there isn't a mediator in the Mosaic Covenant, because a mediator is someone who acts on behalf of someone else, right? He's the covenant representative who takes upon himself the obligations of the covenant for the people he's representing, that doesn't happen in the Mosaic because Israel takes upon themselves the obligations. The blood is thrown on Israel. Israel says, all of this we will do. Um, so Israel has all the obligations. It's not mediated. Right? There's not someone else doing it for them in the Mosaic Covenant. <clears throat> but that's not, to, right, that's not because Israel can do it. That's because Israel is supposed to learn they can't and they need a mediator. And so what Moses does is he steps in in that role as mediator and shows them Christ. He steps in and says, blot my name out instead of Israel's. Put upon me the punishment for Israel's sins. Um, he is the one who goes to the Lord. Right? Even though Israel is the one who has said, all this we will do, the blood is on Israel, the obligations are on them, Moses is the one who goes back and forth between God and Israel. He's the one who goes up the mountain because Israel's too afraid. He's the one who sees God's glory and then brings it to Israel. He's the one who brings the tables of the covenant to Israel. So in many ways, right, he shows us what it's a mediator is going to do. Um, and in other ways, he shows us what a mediator won't do. A mediator won't sin. A mediator won't be stubborn. A mediator won't oppose God um, in the ways that Moses will. So, as we've been looking at the Mosaic Covenant, that's our big picture focus, right? Is what is the Lord teaching us about himself? What is he teaching us about Jesus? And so what we've seen is Jesus is going to keep the law perfectly, and he's going to be our mediator. Which means that when he keeps the law perfectly, he's doing it on our behalf. 
so that when Jesus obeys, it's as if we obeyed. Which means all the blessings, right, all the rewards um, become ours. Not through any work that we have done, but through the work of Christ. That's the covenant stand, that's the covenant terms, the unalterable terms. So that affects us, right? That affects how we view the covenant of grace, which is the covenant we're in. Because Jesus is our mediator, which means if Jesus has obeyed, we're no longer, there's no more rewards for us to earn. We're not trying to earn anything more from God. We have all of it. Now, of course, Paul will say, well, should, then should we just keep on sinning because, uh, so that grace may abound? He says, of course not. That's not the point. The point is, as people saved by grace, um, completely, we don't try to earn anything. We don't go back to the law in order to find salvation. Instead, we go back to the law to find out how we should love God. So we've talked about the law a little bit. Um, we started talking about it last week. We started talking big picture about the law of God. Um, so what do you guys remember? What are, what are the three main categories of law that God gives um, from Mount Sinai? Jonathan? He gives the categories of spiritual, domestic, something. I don't remember what that is. And ceremony. Okay. So... I feel like you're using synonyms for what we said, but I think you're on the right the right track, right? There's the moral law, there's the the civil law, and there's the ceremonial law. Does anyone remember what the the ceremonial law is about? How to worship God. Yeah. What kinds of things did the ceremonial law command? Sacrifices. Yeah, that's a big one. What else? Dietary restrictions. restrictions. What else? Clean and unclean. unclean. Yeah, I'm sure we could think of some mores. Some mores? For some reason, I want s'mores. Um, I'm sure we could think of others, right? But those are the some of the big ones of the ceremonial law, right? The uh, the the clean and unclean laws, the sacrificial system, how to worship the Lord, don't build an altar with um, hewn stone, things like this are, are laws that teach us how to worship God. We know that we must, but we can't just worship God any way we want. We have to worship God in the way that He says. Um, so the ceremonial law teaches us that. What kinds of laws were in the civil law category? Issues of justice. uh, Providing for the underprivileged and the lower classes of mediating between two people. Yeah. Yeah, mediation between two aggrieved parties, what happens if one guy accidentally kills another guy's ox, what happens if a guy steals an ox and it gets killed, what happens um, if an ox gores a man, these are all laws that fall into the civil category. But you're right, G, there's, there's some big, big concerns the Lord has in his law, um, in his civil law, and a huge part of that is caring for the poor. It's caring for the sojourners, the widows, the orphans. Um, there's even laws about how much you should harvest and how much you should leave, right? So that people who don't have a field can come in and harvest. Um, 
These are laws that show us that God's heart is, is towards the poor. His heart is towards the oppressed, towards those who don't have. And he's the God who provides for the people who don't have. Um, it's, that should challenge us, I think, in some ways to be as loving towards the poor as God is. Which, you know, in a, in a country of, of wealth is something that we can all keep learning and growing in, uh, myself included. And then what's the moral law about? How to treat your neighbor, don't steal, don't lie, don't murder. Okay. But aren't those kind of civil things? Don't lie, don't murder, don't steal. Well, I feel like the civil law was more like, here's the consequences when these things happen. But the moral law is like, just this is why they're against the law in the first place. Okay. Anyone else have any thoughts about the moral law? What's it about? Okay. Lori says your behavior. Um, uh, uh, Elaine says about God's attributes. Charlie? It's the, it's the precedent, right? It also initially addresses how we worship God. It addresses who he is, our relationship to him. And then what follows is our relationship to our neighbors as Christ instructed that all of the law was contained in the greatest commandment and the next one that was like it. But it also deals with, it begins, you shall have no other gods before me. So that has to do with worship, specifically, mm-hmm. who he is. And it goes on from there. It orders, gives instruction about the day of worship that they have part. And then it gets into sort of civil things like you're saying, which are how we deal with our neighbors, not lying to them, not taking their lives, not coveting their things. So it's, it's I think, a little more nuanced as to, like, you can't narrow it down to one thing that it does, I think. Okay. So you, you can't quite narrow it down. It has a lot of scope. Think about the relationship that we have today to the moral law versus our relationship to Israel's civil law. What's the difference? The moral law is really about what's right and wrong. It never changes. Okay. So the civil laws for Israel weren't about what's right and wrong? They were about how to, how to uh, work those out in that time period in that way. Okay. You know, and yeah, they, they reflect the moral law. The moral law is more about right and wrong. The civil law is more about how does that look in this time period this time. Sure. In this Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, a good way to say it, right? The, the moral law is about what's right and wrong before God, and the civil law says, well, how does that work right now, in this time period, in this history, in this nation? Charlie? So would it be fair to say that the form or the, the temporal expression of the law is what's accidental, it's what's liable to change, whereas, like, We've been saying the sacrificial system would be, say, the first part of the moral law, having to deal with worship. It's the first part expressed in the era of Israel. And then the civil law would be the second portion of the Ten Commandments and what the form looks like specific to that period. I would say, I would would not look at the Ten Commandments as, okay, let's divvy these up between ceremonial and civil. That's not the point. The point is ceremony and civil flow from the moral law. That's what I was trying to say. Okay. 
then then yes, that's fair to say and that's right to say. The moral lies. The, the, yes, Michelle. No, that's fine. I don't know. Is are there more moral laws in the law than just the Ten Commandments? Uh, yes, but the Ten Commandments summarize them. So that's what our confession states. Um, I can't think of any particular examples right now, but the Ten Commandments summarize the moral law. You could even summarize them further, right? Deuteronomy 6.4, you should love the Lord your God, or Jesus. The whole law is summarized like this. Love God and love your neighbor. Yes, Elaine? So, so what I'm pushing towards is the fact that the moral law is um, it's the foundation. This is what's, what's right and this is what's wrong. It is right to worship God and it is wrong to murder. Now what if, right, you're in a nation and someone accidentally kills someone? How, where, what does that look like? And so for Israel, there were laws, civil laws, about what happens if you accidentally kill someone. Um, you should not steal that's what's right or wrong. Well, what if you accidentally kill someone else's ox, right? What's the consequence? What should that be? What should that look like? So the civil laws flow out from the moral law, but they are, they are particularly applied to Israel in their time and in their nation. So what the confession says is that um, the civil law has, been, is, has passed away, except for the principles of general equity, which means we can look at the, at the civil law and we can see the principles behind them. Right? The principles behind the civil laws are what, are what we should take from them. Because we're not living in Israel. We don't have oxen. Right? We don't need to put these laws into place in, in America because it, it would be a little silly. Um, but at the same time, there's principles that are being taught that we should learn from. And a lot of the principles of the civil law are if you steal or break or kill, you pay back more than what you took or what you broke or what you killed. Um, that's an interesting principle, right? That's worth thinking about applying to our own current situation. Um, does that make sense? I'm, I'm curious So if you read Deuteronomy, um, the book of Deuteronomy is about the Ten Commandments. The whole book. Every section of Deuteronomy explains and, and brings forth more about one particular commandment. So in a sense, Deuteronomy is an interpretation or an unpacking of what the, the moral law, the Ten Commandments mean. And when you read Deuteronomy, what you see is that it's not just the negative commands, but it's the positive commands. It's not just you shall not steal, but you shall be generous. It's not just you shall not murder, but you shall love life. It's not just, you know, worship God, but abhor idols. Um, the moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments, but it, it, is, it is God. It's God's character that is being shown most clearly. And so we see God, is, God hates lying. He hates stealing. He hates murder. He, he deserves worship. 
Um, those things will flow out into the particular ceremonial and civil laws of Israel. Um, but what it really comes down to is this is who God is. If we're to love God, how do we do that? So you start talking about civil and ceremonial laws. Um, does that help clarify? If not, that's okay. <laughs> I can. We can keep talking about it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it seems like I'm trying to be too neat and tidy and too systematic, and I'm sorry if that's the case. I'm not. I'm not trying to be super systematic. I'm just trying to lay some 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 groundwork, right? Some basic categories that we can think in. There's there's going to be exceptions. There's going to be things that, okay, this law kind of hits all three at the same time. That's that's okay. That's that's the Lord. <laughs> no system can ever fully capture. God and his complexity, and that's okay, and that's good. Um, we're always adapting and learning. Jonathan, you've had your end up. So, one question. Okay. How can you accidentally kill someone? Uh, say you're driving your car, and a pedestrian crosses in front of you, and you don't see him, and you hit him. You didn't mean to, but it was an accident. But you Mm-hmm. Right, but it's different from when you set out to kill someone. And the laws of Israel reflect that. There's, there's sanctions or there's ways for someone who's accidentally killed someone to have, to have actual, what's the word, um, sanctuary. What's that? The law looks at it as an intent. If you intend it in your heart to do the evil, that's where the sanctions come in. If you didn't intend, like the accident, we call accidents, then there's no intent. There's still culpability. Right, there's still... There's no intent. There's still responsibility, and there's actually still consequences. Right? I think there's a law that says if you're chopping wood and your axe head flies off and, and kills your brother, you have to go to a sanctuary city right then. Because if you don't, his family has the right to exact vengeance. Not because you meant to, but... Because an eye for an eye. But if you go to the sanctuary city, you're actually safe. Um, so there's a lot of stuff happening with those kinds of laws. But there is a difference between intending to murder and not. Any other questions? How about you just preach through Deuteronomy, right? <laughs> done with Exodus? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's on the website. <laughs> so I'll start in, what, 2042? Is that good for you? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, when I actually get through Exodus, I will. Yeah, I will be ninety-eight. Um, yeah. Any other questions or? Just a comment. I, I've we've been reading through Psalm one nineteen, and it seems like Psalm one nineteen is trying to get at the heart of the idea that in order to love God and serve Him and worship Him, you have to know His testimonies, His laws, and that. That's what enables you to to worship God and love Him and know Him. Um, is the, the the law of God is equated with the Word of God, and so it seems like there's a relationship there that maybe helps us understand that a little better. Psalm 19, the whole thing is is about keeping God's law. More so than keeping God's law, but loving God's law. Yeah. Is there is there a difference between Loving God and obeying God? 
What's the difference? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay, so obedience flows from love. But can you can you obey without love? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're taking out the garbage, but they're like. But I don't think you can love God without obeying Him. Okay. So, if you do love God, you will obey Him. Yeah, I think that's fair because if you love God, of course you'll want to obey Him. You want to or strive to, but you can't do it perfectly. But you can be obedient to certain laws with contempt in your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're actually not actually obeying if you hate God. Yeah, and they missed the whole point of the law. Right? Jesus comes and heals someone on the Sabbath, and they they try to kill him because to them he has disobeyed God's law. But to Jesus, he's saying this was the point of the law, <laughs> like. You've missed the whole point, is to love God. Um, between being obedient as a servant because you have to or as a child because you love your mom and dad. Yeah, I think there's a couple other ways that love is distinct from just mere obedience. Part of it is loyalty, right? Someone who is simply, who, who does not love God will not be loyal to God. As soon as there's a way out from underneath the obligations, right, they'll take it. As soon as there's a loophole, they're gone. Um, but to love the Lord means to love him and seek to, lo- to serve him and keep his commandments even when it isn't convenient, even when it's hard, even when you don't want to. Um, and we've all been there. But I think there's another that pushes us that the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Here's what you shall do. I think God can say something similar to us. I am the Lord your God who died on the cross for you. Here's how you shall love me. Right? Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's gratitude. Right? Love and gratitude are, are intertwined because we love God because he has first loved us. We know God because he's revealed himself. We, we want to serve God because he has served us. It's, it's gratitude that drives us. Not not seeking to earn something from God, not trying to get something from God, not like a servant who's, um, who hates his master, not like an employee who's just trying to get the paycheck. We love God as children, right? As sons and daughters, he's our father. He's done everything for us. And out of a love and gratitude for him, the law shows us here's how we can be the people he wants us to be. Um, obviously not perfectly, but that's where sanctification comes in. The goal is to be like Christ. That's, that's what we're shooting for. Not, we're not shooting for less. We know we won't hit that mark in this life, but that's where we want to be. We, we want to be perfect. We don't want to sin. We hate to sin. Paul will say, like, I, I do the very thing I hate 
So I see a war, right? I see, one, I see my flesh serving one law, and I see my heart serving a different law. Um, Jonathan. So... <clears throat> Is it okay? Uh, come back to you. Okay. So how do we relate to the ceremonial law? So we've talked a little bit about the civil law already. Um, and we've what, what I've said so far is we relate to the civil law by looking at the principles behind the law. We look at what the confession calls general equity. Um, Jonathan, do you remember your question? So, in the Ten Commandments, the old opening and the opening that he could use for some moderns, it both seems kind of like, I did this for you, therefore you will open your wings. That kind of makes no sense. Why not? I know he's God, so it kind of makes sense because God can't exactly do But, like, it still sounds like one of those arguments where, I did this for you, now you need to do this for me. You don't have to do this. Okay. Well, think about this. Right? Do you, let's say your parents get you a, a, a really cool birthday present, like a really expensive, really cool birthday present, and it's amazing, and you love it. Are you inspired to love your parents more or to love them less? More. More. That's what the Lord is, is saying. Here's the gift I've given you, eternal life. If it's not inspiring you to love me more, you're clearly not understanding something. This should call us, this should push us to obedience because that's what God deserves. Right? God deserves everything. But in his grace, right, he, he first gives us a gift before calling us to love him back. Um, does that help clarify? Okay. So let's go back to what we were just talking about. Civil law, we relate to the civil law now by looking at the principles, by looking at general equity. Um, and that helps teach us about God, right? And it helps teach us about what, what life in this world and society should look like. But how do we, how do we relate to the ceremonial laws? So the, the sacrificial system, the cleanliness system, the dietary requirements. Because there's a lot of stuff in there that is very confusing, right? The fact that you're unclean for, for having a baby. Um, so I saw Charlie's hand first, and then Michelle. Okay. 
But confession uses the word abrogated when it talks about the ceremonial law, which is a big, big word that I don't, I don't know either. But it essentially means it's it's put under, right? It is now satisfied, as Charlie said. It's fulfilled in Christ, but it comes to us in a little bit different way. We can talk about that soon too, Elaine. In a sense, yeah. Kylie, you had your hand up. Okay, um, that's possible, but that's not what Scripture drives us to. Sure, and Michelle, and then John. I think that the ceremonial law teaches us that God is holy, and and we know He deserves to be worshipped, but it tells us how to worship Him. You can't just come to God any way you want. And it and in our time it, it preaches against the as long as you sincerely believe, you know, whatever, it's you're gonna get to heaven. And so no, God is holy and there's one way to get to him and this is what it is. And there was the temple and all of that and the old covenant and it's through Jesus, faith in Jesus in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Okay, John. I say tying both of those together, Kylie's and Michelle's statement, is the fact that it's um, history. This is a new, a new people. They've been newly gathered out. They have no idea who God is, and He's teaching them His holiness, as Michelle said, and how to treat your neighbor. They don't know those things, and so with those three different categories of law. He's saying, here's my standard, here's who I am, you don't know that, but I'm going to teach you that. And he's taking them by the hand, literally, and figuratively, and leading them out of Egypt, and teaching them how to be his children. Okay, so let me, let me tie a few strands together. Um, when we talk about the ceremonial law, the first thing that we always say is that it's fulfilled in Christ. Right, But that means something a little bit different depending on which aspect of the ceremonial law you're talking about. With the sacrificial system, we don't have any more sacrifices because the sacrifice has been offered. Because while what Elaine said earlier about the broken and contrite heart always being the point, that's absolutely true. David says that in Psalm 51. Sacrifices, you don't delight in those. What you care about, Lord, is a broken and contrite heart. 
The sacrifice itself cannot take away sin, as Hebrews says. It's always a means for someone who is broken and contrite, right, in Israel to express their repentance through sacrifice. Were people sacrificing without repentance? Absolutely. Um, But the point was always to drive us to the fact that this animal that I'm killing can't take away my sin. Only God can. And if if he wants to cleanse me of my sin freely, he can. Even if I offer no sacrifices. Because it's about faith, right? It's about faith in Jesus. So when Jesus is sacrificed, that is both the fulfillment of the, of the legal requirements for sin to be taken away. And it's also the fact that, that we don't have any more sacrifices. We don't need them. We always only needed one true sacrifice of Christ. Um, and then you pivot to the clean and unclean distinction. Right? What was all that about? Well, it was about God's presence. God is set apart. If you want to be in God's presence, you have to be different than the world. You can't be the same as the pagan nations. You have to be holy, which doesn't just mean righteous. That also means set apart. It means purified. That means you have been set aside for a purpose. Um, and in order to get there, right, Israel was given a set of, of laws, right? How you wash, when you wash, your purification rites, um, all of that was to bring you into God's presence. Jesus does that because he's our priest. Because the priests were the ones who did the purification rituals. Right? They are the ones who brought the people close to God. Jesus brings us close. And in fact, through his blood, right, we are purified completely. We're not doing any more purification rituals because we don't need them. We have been cleansed. We are holy already. And that has implications for the things that we do in this life. That means we can't live like the rest of the world lives. We can't engage in the same things the world engages in. Because that's profaning the temple of God. And thus Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 7, the one who joins his members to a prostitute is profaning the temple of God, defiling God's temple. Because you are God's temple. That's why it is so horrendous, is because it is bringing what is holy into contact with what is not. Um, so that it affects us. But at the same time, that gives us freedom. Paul says, you don't have to worry about asking whether food is, is offered to idols. You don't have to worry about eating something profane, because you are clean. It, it can't affect you. If Obviously, if they say... Oh, by the way, I sacrificed this to blah, blah, blah earlier. You say, okay, for the sake of this person's conscience, I'm not going to eat it. Right? It's not so that you don't profane yourself. It's so that you don't profane their conscience and you don't condone this action of sacrificing to an idol. Because it's, you are already holy. Um, so how you look at what, what part of the ceremonial law you talk about affects how Jesus fulfills it and how it comes to us and how we, um, how we understand our relationship to it. There's a couple other things that we could talk about with that, um, and I think we'll have to pick that up next week. Um, so next week we'll try to finish up some stuff on all of these things. What a vague statement. Um, are there any final thoughts or questions? Because I know we've touched on a lot of things today. Um, and if you don't have any right now, it's totally fine. But please feel free to 
reach out to me later or email or text or call. Be happy to talk. Any final comments or questions? No? You understand everything perfectly? Wow. All right, let's, uh, let's give thanks to God. Let's pray, and then we'll prepare for worship. Lord God, you're the one who knows everything, and we do not. But we thank you that you are the one who reveals all that we need to know, yourself. Thank you that you have revealed your son to us. Thank you that we have life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, for cleansing us, for giving up your own son so that we might be saved. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we come before you to worship this morning, we pray that you would, uh, you would draw us near by your spirit into your presence, that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, and that you would mold us and shape us through your word and through your sacrament. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.